Hi everyone, just before we get into this episode, just want to say a massive thank you to Paul Johansson for joining Dom and I on this episode of the podcast. Incredibly humbled, incredibly grateful for his time. Uh, at the beginning here, there was a couple little bits of conversation that we had with Paul before we officially started the podcast, but we thought it was too good to not include it in the podcast. So there's a couple minutes of just random segments at the beginning there of things that we thought that you would all enjoy. So we've included it there and then a few minutes in the podcast starts properly with the introduction and everything. So hope you enjoy and let us know what you think. Until we... <laughs> Who is your favorite on and be honest with me, guy, girl, whatever. Who is your favorite character? Like when they, that character came on One Tree Hill, which character did you go? Oh, this, this is, I want to watch this. Cause some scenes like some, you know, some shows you go, okay, this is exposition. This is filler. It's okay. It's okay. But then they, someone comes on and you just kind of go like, you know what I mean? What, what, hang on. Wait, are we, are we starting? Is this official? I'm sorry. I'm okay. Sorry. Well, hang on, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Because we, we have a little intro we need to do. Oh, uh, I was just, um, okay. All right. But but okay. Well, to answer your question, um, my well, so Dom has only seen the first season. So the the our podcast is that he's a new person to it. I've seen mm -hmm. it loads, and then we go through episode by episode, and Dom gives his like predictions of what he thinks is going to happen next. Um, and uh, and then myself and the listeners we laugh at him when he gets it wrong, uh, <laughs> and then we're secretly angry when he gets it right. Oh no. Um, well, it does, it does. It does do a major tone shift after almost every season. There's slight, slight tone shifts until the final three seasons, where there's a huge tone shift in the show. I think, but, but I mean, to answer your question, I mean, this might help answer your question. I have a Dan Scott custom-made pop Funko <laughs> right here. He um, should have a COVID mask on. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Those are great. I would wish they'd send me one of those. I can send you one. Send me like a, somewhere to send it and I'll send it. I'll send you my address. We <laughs> pop him around to read that script. <laughs> yeah, right. Mars mission Z24. I was going to say Z24. I am a what? Canadian guy, like growing up, so I still say Z sometimes. I, I I know I know almost everything about you at this point, Paul. I, I've I've researched you. Have I can't wait to talk about it. Well, so the the way that we do this introduction is so I I was I start and say uh, I'm Simon. I love One Tree Hill. Dom says his name, his scene, however many episodes his scene, and then if you could introduce yourself and you can say whatever you want. I'm not going to give say you how many episodes I've seen because I've I've only seen maybe a third of all the episodes. No way. No, I've read every script of every episode of every season, but I didn't watch all of them. That's crazy. No, it's actually it's actually helpful. I can imagine that's quite normal. And I can explain it later on when we get into it. Why? You know, particularly why I don't watch all the episodes. There's a lot of episodes that, as the character Dan Scott, I shouldn't really be watching because they lead me to be emotionally manipulated towards things as opposed to being driven by my own character's um, needs and wants. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be um, pulled off of that. I think he has to be selfishly kind of like, it's about him, you know? That makes yeah. perfect sense. He's a narcissist. He's a, he's a, he's an overt narcissist. Hmm. That makes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I love it. And it's not me. Obviously you can see about my son. It's like, I'm, I'm like the opposite. I'm an empath. All my love, all my, everything goes into my, my family and my kids, but it's just, 
Dan Scott was so much fun to play. <laughs> but it was a lot of work. Hello and welcome to The Ravens, a One Tree Hill podcast. I'm Simon and I love One Tree Hill. I'm Dom and I've seen 24 episodes of One Tree Hill. <laughs> I'm Paul Johansson, I play Dan Scott and I've seen about 70 episodes of One Tree Hill. And tonight's episode for debate is no episode because this is a conversation with Paul Johansson. Paul, we are so humbled and so overwhelmed that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I've listened to your show uh, a few times. Oh, not as many as I've seen Winter Hill. <laughs> I, I think this was a, a kind of a, a groundbreaker in some of its ways. I was on the original Groundbreaking Kids show. I was on the original 90210 for a season. And I was hired by Aaron Spelling directly. He uh, was an amazing man. And he sort of created the Fox channel with you know, 902 and 0. I think 21 Jump Street really started it off, right? And then I think that 902 and 0 made them a groundbreaking show. And I grew up with Jason Priestley. We moved to America together and we're roommates. And so it's kind of, um, it's been a long sort of cyclical journey for me. Is your wife a fan of One Tree Hill too? She's never seen it. What? Yeah, I know. What's that like? How She's, do you have a, fan- She's a fan of yours from Mad Men. Oh, yeah. Okay. For Donnelly. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's it. I was desperately I was desperately trying to remember. So because I'm not allowed to, because I've never seen One Tree Hill other than the 24 episodes I've already seen, I'm not allowed to, to kind of look anyone up or look anything up. And when I, when I watch it, I think M- Mad Men. I, I, I've seen all of Mad Men. I've seen it a couple of times and I'm thinking, I can't remember his character's name in Mad Men. It was driving me mental. So glad that you said Berg because now I remember exactly right. who you were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a I, that was a real um, a real honor to work with. I'm a huge Matt Weiner fan, and I loved the cast. Um, they're incredible consummate professionals, and a completely different process of shooting than One Tree Hill, where um, whereas One Tree Hill was very much um, kind of um, a machine that was well oiled, and everyone kind of you know stepped in, and uh, they let the actors have a lot of um, a lot of leeway and a lot of um, you know, I mean, we didn't have any rehearsal. It's just we, we walked through our, 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 our you know, our, our, um, our morning process for what we're going to shoot for that day with the director and got a little bit of input. But with, 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 with the directors um, on Mad Men and with Matthew Weiner at the helm, it was, um, for me particularly, but it was, you know, for the episodes that I was involved in, uh, there was um, real nuanced input and helpfully um, guided performances and... Um, you know, it was uh, like being almost on, um, you know, on the stage again, you know, where uh, it was uh, very, very character driven performance, you know, input. And I found it to be exhilarating and really loved it. You know, um, it was a little more shoot from the hip a little bit on, on One Tree Hill, kind of like you could go with more gut feeling and kind of like, ah, you know, maybe I'll walk over here instead of over there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of. And, you know, you can get a little bit, it does keep it fresh when you're doing 10 seasons of a series. I think we did nine, right? You would know. I think we did nine, nine seasons. Yeah, you, yeah. You, get, um, you, you get a lot more um, comfortable with being able to take those chances. But on Mad Men, I, I was really loving the, um, you know, the, uh, just the, the high level of dedication to the rehearsal process, which I was not accustomed to from our show. I was, I was just going to say is the the difference like uh, yeah on one show you absolutely have to hit your mark and get it spot on and the other one is you are the mark 
So it's kind of the camera will follow you no matter where you go. Right. Well, I think also that not just hit the mark part, but also with there's um, extremely well thought out, um, um, you know, multi-level sort of like um, ideas behind the dialogue and what they're supposed to do um, for that particular, I mean, especially as a guest star and not as a lead performer, when you're on a, as a guest star on the show, you, your, your job is to fulfill the story and to be, um, and to, you know, you know, up, uplift the other, the, the main character's storylines and to really sort of like help push that along as a, as a lead character, like on One Tree Hill, particularly a character like Dan Scott, who was so much, you know, the, the spice that you use a little instead of a lot of and the food if you use too much, he overwhelms the palate. But Dan Scott's like, these hot chili peppers, you just put it, <laughs> just, you don't need much, you know? So I, I'm always about how much am I playing? How much am I giving? You know, how much do I want to push? How much do I pull back? Sometimes almost getting nothing is really effective as a Dan Scott character because he's already in the audience's mind. You, they're, they're, they're expecting something. So if you give them too much, they don't have to work very hard, but you want the audience to kind of work a little bit harder. When they work a little harder, they get more invested. So when they're working to see what you're up to, as opposed to showing them that what you're up to, you get them more invested in, in, the, in the character. And you can almost whisper as Dan Scott and be incredibly effective. Where some characters, you have to yell. Does that make sense? Yeah. And your voice is so epic and so good for uh, all of those things. But if, if, I, if I can take you all the way back. So, and again, because Dom can't look this stuff up for spoilers, this, some of this stuff will be you know, is news to him, which is great because he actually loves looking up and researching for his band. But you, you had the opportunity to, to choose between two amazing paths. One of playing like professional basketball. You were playing with the Canadian national team which is yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah. and, but you chose to go into the path of acting. So I guess, um, and obviously amazingly successful at that. So I guess- Well, they, the, they helped me make that choice. They, you know, right before the Olympics in 88, they, they cut me. So it was very helpful of them to, to I, was, I was poised to go to the Olympics. My father and I were expecting me to make the team. I was, I trained really, I mean, I, mean, I, I could get into some really intense stuff, but the, the truth of it is, is, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I don't look it, and I certainly don't characterize it, but I'm a diehard romantic. When I fall in love, probably like both of you guys I'm getting, I fall, like I don't, I jump in with both feet and I'm in love. And I had um, been um, traveling with the national team in, I think we we're in Israel and then Greece, and then we we're playing in the, the Maccabea games and then some, some tournament in Europe. And I had come home and um, I had found out that, you know, my the girl that I was living with, that I was in love with, that I was grew up with in high school, was not the person that I should be with. And I kind of had, a, and then I had to go back in two weeks for the pre-Olympic training period. And I went back, and my head wasn't in it, and my heart wasn't in it. And I was, and during that time, I had, you know, dabbled earlier in these thing called theater sports back in the '80s, which was a sort of a groundbreaking place for Canadians, you know, um, Second City and that kind of stuff all came from, from, you know, comedy. And I was working on, just for fun with some friends that took me, I was working on becoming, you know, like um, improvisational comedian, doing acting scenes that the audience would throw you ideas and you do those scenes. And I was doing that. And um, I put myself on tape for a couple of these things and then just for fun. And um, when I got let go from the Olympic team, um, to not be able to go to Korea in 88. Um, this guy called me and said, um, hey, look, I saw some of you on tape. I think you might have something. And 
I want to bring you down to Los Angeles. And I'm like, what? Like, who are you? Like, what's your name? Like, what do you want? Like, I didn't trust it. I had to call around and ask people, like, is this normal? Like, this is weird. And he flew me to LA. And I literally left my car, my apartment, all my clothes, all my 20 years of basketball trophies and jerseys and everything. And I just brought a suitcase. And when I got down to LA, he goes, I'm going to put you in acting classes, singing, dancing. I want you to start in a theater group. I want you to do this, voice lessons. And I was like, you know, disciplined from basketball. And I went, yeah, I can do that. And I kind of, um, I never went home. I mean, that apartment, I don't even know what happened to it. The lease must have gone up. My car was sitting on the street. I don't know whatever happened to it. I literally never claimed any of that stuff again. I have none of my books, none of my, all my college stuff. I don't know. I just left. I ended up going back, obviously, to see my family and that stuff. But I literally walked away from my life to come to Hollywood. And this young kid came in from uh, from Vancouver, who I did met a couple times in Vancouver in acting situations. And Jason Priestley, and he moved in. Well, we moved in together with another friend. And um, then we kind of just like, you know, apartment hopped and started our careers. Jason got on a series called Sister Kate. And then I, and then he got on a show called, he came to me one day with a, with a audition for a, a series called class of Beverly Hills. And um, we rehearsed it and he went and he got the job and I went on and did, uh, I think like um, soap dish, the movie um, Sally Field and Kevin Klein and Whoopi and all those guys, Downey. And then um, ended up, ended up uh, doing a, a series called Lonesome Dove doing a bunch of TV movies and then got onto a, another series and then another series. <laughs> Those days were crazy days. So that's how it all kind of like got me to be, but you know, I'll tell you how I got the Dan Scott part. I used to play basketball in Hollywood and because I was a former basketball player, I was like doing all the commercials. I did commercials with Magic Johnson, Tim Hardaway, just did a lot of basketball commercials. And, um, so I was in all these e-leagues, you know, entertainment league basketball games and I was playing and I was, I was kind of cocky. <laughs> I remember guys like Clooney throwing the basketball at my head or other people getting mad at me or, you know, we were all like, you know, we're all sort of young and aggressive and, you know, I'm just this cocky guy dunking on people and talking smack and thinking I'm like this and that and uh, young and dumb and all this stuff. And I just was kind of a little bit too full of myself a little bit back then when it came to basketball, but I, I loved it. And I, and I just wanted everyone to know how good I was because some need in me was to try to prove you know it because I don't know. Maybe it was just just insecurity or something. But some young things that young people do. And um, I remember playing with Brian Robbins in a couple of games, and he he he, he was really sweet. Brian Robbins is the you know the show was the, um, the executive producer of One Tree Hill, and um, he'd seen me play basketball, and he saw me like on the court, not take anything from anybody. Sometimes even throwing fists in situations where I thought I was being, you know intentionally someone was trying to hurt me so I'd stand up and I'd go you know um, um and anyway when I went to audition for um Dan Scott I literally went in and um I walked out and I think like I had a really good feeling about it when they had me screen test I think I screen tested against the guy that was in the original Karate Kid uh no oh, not that guy it was another guy what the heck was his name wonderful actor he ended up playing Hillary Burton's dad but he was the other guy that was up for Dan Scott is it Kevin? Uh, is Kevin um, Kilner? Uh, he played. Oh no! One of- I, I've worked with Kevin. No, this is a different. I, I'll remember his name in a minute. Really nice guy, sweetheart. Um, and I was reading the script. And I was like, "Oh gosh, I really want to play Keith. This guy Keith is like cool. He's like, you know, 
he's like you know the the art of mort- motorcycle maintenance and the you know the you know the uh the, the zen master guy that's a cool part i want to play that part he'll be the guy that like everybody will like and i was and brian robbins was like no 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 you, you don't want that part you, you, you want you want dan scott he goes trust me you got you're up for the right part because he'd see me play basketball he knew how aggressive i was and how intense i was and that i was you know from the son of a great hockey player who's like really intense on me and all the other things. So I auditioned for it. And, um, and I, and he came out right before I went in for the final audition in front of the, the network. And he said, you've already got the part. He goes, just be you. Just, just the guy that I met on the basketball court, just be that guy. And I did. And, and I went in and it was really a, a you know, life-changing part for me. Um, I miss the show. I miss the days and the grind. I, it, it got, it got hard for a long time. Because there was sometimes there was, you know, we we were young. We were trying to make a, a hit show. We didn't know how successful the show really was because we were in this little bubble in North Carolina. We didn't know that around the world it was like, kind of like it really was getting huge. I think in a way the producers liked that we didn't know how successful it was because we would ask for more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now now that we're getting into One Tree Hill, um, it's I'm, I'm getting a little. Sorry bit for hard. that long. Amble. I just wanted to give you a background on how I got the part, you know. I just need to be ready here now, just in case Whitey's here and he needs me to come onto the court. Oh, no. Just just get ready here. (laughs) Oh, my God. The 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 whole time we've been sitting here thinking, he's wearing a really bright blue top under there. I wonder what he's got. That is a nice shirt. That is a nice shirt. Now we can talk about it officially. But I... (laughs) You know, now now that I'm, I'm dressed. Love Whitey. How great of an actor is Barry Corbin? Well, this this was actually going to be my next question. Is you had great chemistry with uh, all of all of your castmates, uh, but was there one person in particular that you really enjoyed sharing scenes with? Yeah, there there was a few. There was a there was quite a few. Obviously, I'm you know I'm I'm great friends uh, still with Joy. You know, our, we're, we're, we we talk almost every day. We're we're very, very close friends. And we have, we each have nine-year-old, she has a nine-year-old girl, I have a nine-year-old boy. We're both single parents and um, we, we do our auditions together quite often. We call each other um, and discuss, you know, um, making choices in our careers and, and, um, and life. And we sometimes spend holidays together and, you know, we barbecue and hang out and swim together. And she's a, she's a phenomenal actress. And I think the truth is, is that I think I was, mostly attracted to 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 being around her because of her incredible i think um you know um skills as an actress she's got um an access to her emotions that was seems so authentic when she's working that it it you know it seems almost seamless when she transitions from one emotion to another which as a director i thoroughly love watching it's hard for me to watch people work at generating an emotion which i find to be you know uh, very off-putting um, it just means that um, either they're not connected to it or they haven't they haven't um, properly prepared themselves for the scene. Um, and I'm tough, like I'm a tough director, you know, I mean, I, especially when I'm friendly with you and we can just talk shorthand and we don't have to like do all the niceties. We can just go, oh, you know, that's not, that's, you're trying to bullshit me. Come on, let's go, you know, let's be, let's be real. Like whatever we do, let's not lie. Like with our, with this scene, let's just tell the truth and the, and the scene will work. You know, it's not your job to sell it you know, it's just your job to be truthful, just be truthful. And those kind of conversations you can have with people like Joy, who are really, you know, really get it, you know, but I loved working with James, because he's a, a genius in his own right, you know, James, James is, 
so smart and such a hard worker. You know, he's got that new series on Hulu that's really killing mm-hmm. it. And yeah. Everyone's doing great. Um, and that's just because his work ethic is just unbelievable. He is a very hard worker, very smart guy. Um, I knew he'd be super successful. And him and Coletti are both, um, you know, really um, killing it with that. I'm so proud of both of them. And I love them both. Um, Hillary sent me her book, which was unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I love Hillary. I would really admire her. You know, her and I didn't always get along. We're both really sort of similar personality types. So sometimes we battle, but we always hugged and loved each other. And that's what you want in your friendships, right? You don't want people to agree with you all the time. Um, I mean, I really, I, you know, Chad and I had some rough patches in, in our, in our um, working together relationship because we approached the work differently. But, you know, he's turned out to be an incredible father and hardworking guy and just really proud of him. Really proud of Chad. Uh, I'm really close to like, you know, I'm Brian Greenberg is my, is my, is my buddy, you know, I'm Barry Corbin. Um, you know, I, I try to keep in touch with him. He's a busy man, but he's a sweetheart living in Texas. And, um, uh, Daniil, uh, you know, she's her husband and her are just like building an empire. Apparently, you know, they've got, they've got like so many fingers and so many butts. It's just fun to watch Jensen and her kill it. And, um, uh, I mean, there's so many of us, right? I mean, I'm probably forgetting. And Soph, you know, Sophie's doing friend. great. She's become you're, very political, right? You're, yeah, that was, a, that was a great answer. Your your scenes with Craig Sheffer are uh, always stand oh, out as well. Man. Such great chemistry. Craig's a genius, man. I mean, Craig is an, Craig is almost like you you could you'd look at him sometimes. You go, this guy's like, you know, is he even present? Like, what's going on? And then you do a scene with them, and he's he's. I mean. I think he's an incredible, I mean, we were really lucky to get Craig Sheffer on that show. I was actually, when I read the script, uh, where, can I say it? He hasn't well, seen I was going to say, Dom, can you, uh, can you just mute, take your headphones out for one second? I'll, I'll tell you when they come in. I was going to ask you, how, how much notice did you have, like, um, of Not when much. they, and yeah. what, did, what was your first reaction? Like, were you yeah, into when it? When or? I read that script and I saw that I was, that was going to go down, I honestly, uh, called the producers and said, I don't want to do this. I mean, I didn't want to, first off, I didn't want to lose Craig because he was incredibly, um, it was the only person, my, you know, my age and, and sort of like had, you know, had been through what I've been. We just played brothers in a movie in Africa, like a few years before that. And I just didn't want to lose him from the show. I, I just thought it was too, too expensive of a cost to the show to kill that character off. I thought it would be too, but it, you know, truthfully, it saved our series from being canceled. You know, that that episode, we were going to be canceled. That episode brought so much attention to the show that the network couldn't cancel us. And they wanted to. They wanted to get rid of us because they had changed um, uh, president of the networks and they wanted to. And, you know, they always clean, sh- clean shop and the new president comes in wants their own stuff. But they couldn't get rid of us after that show because we were just too, too much attention. Um, I didn't want to do it. And I didn't. It wasn't because I didn't want to do the shooting. And it wasn't because of, you know, I didn't think it was a, a good episode. I thought it was spectacular. It's because I really love Craig and I didn't want to, I didn't want to not go to work and see him every day. So. Well, it was, it is an amazing, an amazing moment. I mean, an incredibly emotional uh, part of the, of the show, but the, it really accelerated and put, propelled your character into the next like stratosphere um, out of being the super villain and one of the best TV villains of all time. Now I'm, I'm not just saying that it's true, but I mean, did you, I got, um... I got a lot of threats. I got, I got all kinds of stuff going down. I mean, I, I, we, I got on an airplane one time and they moved me because some, 
girl in first, young girl with her parents in first class was crying because I was up there. I, they put, I, I just offered to go back and, and sit, you know, farther away because she just couldn't handle it. I mean, I, it really was scary for a lot of, because there are young people that watch her show, mm. you know? Well, were, were you happy with the redemption arc? Because, you know, it is earned. You do get the redemption right at the final moments of the end. I mean, were, were you happy that it went full circle or would you rather he was left as the villain? No, I, I think that it's the, I think it's the most beautiful gift an artist can be given is to have the full, there's a thing that we do in acting when I first started acting, I, I still use now, Stephen Book taught it to us. He's an acting coach that had some amazing actors in his, you know, from Carla Cucina to Maura Kelly, great actors that I was training with when I was younger. And he did this thing called the life cycle where, you know, you, it's a way to keep in touch with your, with your emotions, but it's a whole cycle of your life. It's birth, youth, adolescence, old age, death. And you go through that every morning to give yourself a full emotional sort of like um, uh, armament to take into your battles as an actor. So you're, you're, they're right there in touch. This character did the full arc of life you know his his you know from his his sons finding out about his other son finding out about the you know their their rivalry then their camaraderie then they they join up against him then he he fight he loses then he gets a grandson starts all over again builds a love with him loses his grandson loses everybody and then at the very end you know he fights for them not for himself anymore which he always ever done is fight for his own beliefs and finally you know he gets he dies with the revelation that they They've forgiven him for all that he's done. I mean, I couldn't ask. And I'm frankly, I think it was, I'll never have another role like it. And I'll never, you know, and we have to remember this, all the credit goes to, and I mean this, I mean, I can take credit as an actor for this stuff, but all the credit has to go to the creative team that put that show together. Because that is a gift that um, I hope as a, as a writer, you know, and director to give to other actors one day. I am beyond grateful that Dan Scott got to die with his family around him, loving him and forgiving him. It just, it, I think, and, and by the way, I've never watched that final episode and not teared up. And, and it's me, you know what I mean? It's like, and I, I played the part, but, you know, to be fully candid, um, the day that I shot my death scene was the same day that my mother died. Oh, so when my character died, while I was shooting Dan Scott, I got out of that bed. I went and picked up my phone and my sister called me and she told me, your mom just passed. So there's a crazy connection to my life that that show has. And if you see at the end of that episode, it's in love and memory of Joanne Johansson. That's for my mom. I'm really sorry to hear that. Um, but that's nice that, you know, it tied in and she, you know, you got to dedicate that to her. Um, Beautiful. You did it. I'm forever grateful. And your your character development is my favorite of of the whole show, and it always was from the beginning. And now Dom and I, um, uh, let me bring him back. Yes. Dom, come back, come back. Dom. Um, Dom. We, Should we tell him we were talking about him the whole time? The whole time, <laughs> just making fun of him. You were really <laughs> rude, Paul. I couldn't believe Sorry, it. Dom. <laughs> At first, hey, I thought Dom, maybe you're I, planning I, birthday presents for me or something like that. I have I one sure. question for you, Dom. Let me ask you one question. Sure. Do you think that Dan is in any ways irredeemable? I mean, he look what he look what he's doing. You're in season one, so you see, he's a selfish, you know, blank blank. I mean, do people like that ever change, or do they always stay the same? I mean, you're so, Warren, aren't you? At the at the beginning of the the season, 
I thought this guy is ruthless. This is this man is pure business. It, it may it, relationships and things like that don't matter unless it comes you know down people to people like that in real life. Um, probably not to that extreme, but there's there's people that are that I know that are fairly ruthless and um literally their their sole focus is is work and that's it and this this is where i need to go and this is how focused they are on that one thing and a character like dan is i'm focused on that and pushing my my son and getting him to that level so that he uh it's kind of i want him to be better than me but i don't want him to be better than me is, is the vibe i always get from dan and the further we get into the series the the more i actually start to think he's he's not the bad guy he's been made out to be all the way through the beginning. So he's done some pretty nasty things and he says some really, really great, but nasty things um, to, to pretty much every character that gets to that point at the end. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. We've just found out from, um, from Karen that she refused access to Lucas. And we find out from Deb that she's had an affair and we find out, you know, this, that, and the other, and we find that, you know, Keith then goes and sleeps with Deb and, it's sort of Keith never knew the truth. So Keith has always distanced himself from Dan and, and never asked Dan that question. And you start to think actually maybe Dan has been made that way. He wasn't always that way. You know, we know that Roy, he had a difficult relationship with Royal um, from the one episode that, that he's in uh, so far. And uh, I, I can't help but feel that. Oh, so my part of my predictions is going, like throughout it is I've, I've seen now seen the first two episodes of season uh, two. So the, the heart attack has happened in hospital and it's, look how beautiful the sky is. I'm so sorry, Deb, about everything that's happened. I've not been a great husband, yada, yada, yada. And I kind of feel like it's all building up to a, I've got you exactly where I want you. And, and that's, that's what he's all about is it's all about control. And controlling or, or people, not, or not, he might have changed Dom. You don't I know. I don't know. I don't, know, don't but know, but I, I kind of we feel know. like. I, I've I've said from the beginning um, that a character like that needs something. Um, they need to defy death to be able to change. And then the the heart attack has happened, and I thought this should be happening in season five. This shouldn't be happening in season one. So you know, to me, is this a, we weren't sure if there was going to be a season two, so we need to put this in now and, and make that happen. I, I wasn't sure, and now we've got to season two. I'm thinking. It's, it's too early it's too early to be nice it's too early to to now have that complete flip and go i understand that life is short and i understand that i need to change and i need to build bonds and connections so i i, I kind of feel like the character is going to build those connections to use them to his advantage that, that's how i that's kind of what i'm reading into it anyway well it's a masterful web i will say you seem to capture it quite well you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're right exactly where they want you for, for from the writer's point of view so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna elaborate on that, but you're right where you should be. Oh, thank you very Would much. You agree? <laughs> yeah, and you can see the fun we get to have on the podcast from the perspective of knowing what happens and then seeing when he's really right or when he's wrong, like both ways. It's so much fun to uh, you know, and I envy him. I wish I was in that position of not seeing the show. But um but Paul, you uh you actually and Dom doesn't know this, but you directed 14 episodes uh of one tree hill um and you direct you write i mean how how was that experience and did you find it difficult to balance acting in the episodes that you were directing as well no not so much i think that you know as i said you know we became sort of our own family out there we were there for together for so long 
And it was, um, you know, it can be a little bit difficult when some cast members start directing because, you know, you have to find ways to, um, I think, um, when you're trying to help somebody find a performance or help them find, you know, just even simple things like blocking or movement, you have to be careful to remember not to step on other actors' toes because they have their own ideas and you want them to have their own ideas. But there's a case of expediency in television. You know, we have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of time. And so you try to incorporate as much as you can. And But there's times you have to say, it's a great idea. We just don't have the time. Would it, can we consolidate these ideas and make this more efficient and quicker so we can get this day because, you know, everyone needs to go home and we have to, you know, because of budget things, whatever. So you've got to find your battles. And usually the battles that I picked, which is, I think, which is what gave me, um, you know, and I'm, and I mean this humbly and, and appreciatively gave me the opportunity to direct so many episodes was that the choice, the battles that I chose to fight were always for emotional values that when the actors needed to get somewhere or wanted to explore emotional values, that, I would fight for them for those. When it came to things like, you know, um, more desultory stuff, like um, just, you know, I want to run over here and open this window and then this will happen. And then I want to take this. I want to do something like all that movement's not pushing the story forward, but what you're thinking, what you're feeling are. So let's focus on that. You know, I try to push for emotional values in a show like this because the audience is the connective tissue in these characters is relationship and the connective tissue in this relationship is emotional. So um, that's the way that I wanted to do it. Um, I think in a perfect world, you know, you'd be able to explore all this stuff, but you just don't have, we're not, we're not David Fincher. We don't have a hundred million dollars. We have a certain amount of time and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of actors to shoot a lot of coverage. When you have scenes with 10 lead actors, everybody needs a close up. That scene's going to take a long time. So, cause you've got to get a camera's, set up for everybody's close up and you got to get coverage and you got a different size and you got to movement. So it's, um, it really is, uh, but you know, it's, it's different now. Um, you know, I, I directed a bunch of the Van Helsing episodes for Netflix and it was, I took a lot of what I learned from One Tree Hill in there in terms of like trying to be efficient as a director and, and move quickly. But you know, there was more action in those things and there was makeup and there were special effects and stuff like that. So it was a wonderful learning curve. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that, I would love to go back to acting. I haven't been acting a lot because I've been really focused on developing my own projects. I've got some films I've got going and I've got a series that I'm trying to put together. But if someone came to me and said, hey, um, you know, we're going to do a Dan Scott spinoff. <laughs> no. <laughs> we've actually we've actually talked we've, about we've trying, to, trying to write yeah. a Dan Scott origin story. We didn't yeah. really die. We never went to the funeral, did we? Oh, yes. We had an open casket funeral. So I <laughs> I'm just, you probably know that. I'm sorry. Did I just do this? Oh, no, I've seen that bit. That's fine. Okay, well, yeah. the, in the beginning, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. We, we just, we've discussed a, uh, yeah, a, a Dan Scott, like younger years. Like That's what I was thinking. You know, you want to take it back to almost, you want to take Dan Scott back to high school with Karen and Deb and create a series, sort of a prequel. And I yeah. think that would be kind of a cool 80s, kind of like retro show. However, um, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough. You, you kind mean, of run the risk of, of basically just recreating One Tree Hill, but in the 80s. That's that's the problem. It's because the, the, some of true. the storylines are fairly reflective. So you, you don't want to kind of yeah. fall into that trap, I suppose. Unless you go really sort of like Riverdale with it, you know, and go out there. You know what I mean? Which yeah. I don't know if it's really appealing because you're kind of, then you're kind of ripping off another genre. I think, I don't know. Maybe it's been done. 
I mean, maybe I'm in, maybe, maybe it's a, uh, I mean, you could do, um, you know, it's like they did the Pride and Prejudice Zombies. You could do a One Tree Hill zombie version. <laughs> you know, again, Scott comes back as the leader of the zombies trying to take over the town, <laughs> you know, and Nathan and Lucas lead a, you know, a, a battle to fight Dan Scott's zombie army. The Pride and Prejudice zombie movie was actually filmed a couple miles from where we're actually, uh, actually right? sat right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, I mean, uh, he can hear this part. But the, um, the, I, the, the easiest option, I mean, as much as I think that would be great because you'd get the original characters, but I guess it would, the way that the show ends it does lead it into a way that if you picked it up like 10 years later, it could kind of go. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I think, and I think the kids would probably be into it. I mean, I think a lot of them would. Do you remember the, the poster where all the kids are laying on each other? That kind of like that big posting. And you know, the, the older version, the older person version. I yeah. remember that we weren't really, the older actors on the show weren't being included in any of it you know, publicity that we weren't being asked to do tags we weren't as we doing like anything and they wouldn't bring us in for photo shoots. We were just kind of like left to do other things. It wasn't a big deal, but I just thought that I thought it would be really funny to do a mock-up of that poster and they did it. And it ended up being, we sent it to the network and it ended up becoming quite a big sort of like thing. It was really, and Barry Corbin kills me in that. Did you, have you ever seen the poster? Dom, Dom hasn't seen it. Uh, I will send it to him, uh, but he, he will Very love funny. that. That but it's yeah. funny that you say that because um so dom and i we've known each other our whole lives but what so when i watched the show for the first time oh yeah i said i was like 22 23 and i was kind of relating more to to the younger characters though they were younger but in real life they were probably like that sort of age and then now dom and i we're both 33 and we're in very different times of our life like i just had a baby and you know we have wives and girlfriends like separately not wives and girlfriends together (laughs) Um, and now we relate to uh, to Dan, to Keith, you know, to the to the to the older characters, and they're the ones that actually take our interest, you know, watching it at this age. And I think the show was really clever that way, and it being layered so that it, the audience is kind of larger. Um, I mean, do you? I mean, do you find? Did you find that? I mean, did you feel you had as much fandom as the younger characters? Uh, different. No, nobody had as much as, as Chad and I think Sophia were really, um, Joy really had a, <clears throat> Hillary, they really had um, huge, huge, and they still do, huge, huge followings. I think um, my the people that were gravitating towards my character were understood that um, a lot of it was just like, just either fascination or re- revulsion. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but um it is funny, you know, what would have, it's hard to, to figure out a show that you guys would maybe remember, but like Dallas without J.R. Ewing or, or, you know, um, any TV show without the villain becomes fangless and, and, you know, without any teeth and without any claws. And, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, Dan was, they kept me around on that show for the full run uh, because without the tension, um, I think that you, you, you just, you know, you just sort of fade off without gravity, you know, and I think that Dan pulled that whole show together in some ways. I mean, I don't mean it. I mean, there's a lot of drama and there was like deaths and there's drug abuse and there's all these other things, but you know, there has to be the foil, you know, you have to have it in there. Um, I I do think that the one thing about the Dan character that has always been the most fun for me was that I never tried to play him as a bad guy. I always tried to play him as a guy, which you kind of, um, kind of quickly touched on is 
not misunderstood completely, but that his way of trying to love was about preparing people for life in an honest way, as opposed to, you know, you know, this helicopter modern parenting protective bubble stuff. He's, you know, he's like, uh, you know, accountability. He's about, you know, sacrifice. He's about discipline and all those qualities of the World War II parents, you know, that, you know, that I just missed because I'm a little bit, even a little bit young for those, but those our great grandparents were the, especially over in, in England. I mean, what they had to do to survive, to keep your country. I mean, I know this is, sounds a little bit overly sort of like, you know, rah, rah, but it isn't the sacrifice, the commitment, the, you know, they starve themselves. They, 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 you know, they, gathered rubber for the troops. They did all the things they had to do. They, they bought war bonds with their last money. They kept, they had discipline that we will never understand. We're all worried about wearing a mask right now. Those people were dying. They were getting bombed every night. They had to take all the children out of London. You know, it's like, and so we're taught, Dan Scott's from that generation of like, whatever it takes to survive. And to people nowadays, that's as intimidating and threatening and scary and mean. Well, you know what? We're around because of those people. And so that's the way that I kind of played him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I, I think that we, we've said on the podcast a lot, it's like Dan is unable to show his vulnerabilities to other people. So in the first season, there's a lot of Dan being vulnerable in private, like in the car, practicing a speech is about to give Deb. And then he walks in and then he sees Keith is, you know, with, with Deb. And it's like, but he can't show that vulnerability outward you know, to, to other people. And it feels like, like Dom said, he is like a misunderstood character. And when, when there's a lot of Dan in an episode, we always rate it higher because we, in, we enjoy, we love the character. We enjoy it. But the way that you play it is so good. Like you give such a solid, great performance. The show would not be the same without you. And I think everybody loves to hate Dan, you know, and then some people just love to love Dan. So yeah. Well, um, I will. Uh, I'll take that as a compliment. I, I give a, again, I try to give as much credit as I can to the writing staff who really, um, really sort of helped guide this, this character's growth. Um, and as you will find out, it's, uh, it, it, it's never boring. It's never boring. Um, but again, you know, and in a strange way, this hasn't been said very often. And I'm just sort of like, I'm, I'm anecdotaling and throwing stuff out there. If that's okay. I'm not just thinking. Our show was actually a, was really a female driven show. The best, most interesting stories and characters were our women. You know, I truly loved watching scenes with joy and Sophia and Hillary and Daniil and Yana. And I loved because I thought that they wrote our women in a way that gave them power. And that were there were victims, and that they were, you know, I kind of loved, and and even our cast, our female cast members, exemplified that off the set too. We had a very like, <laughs> to be honest with you, you know, um, they would if there was some cause that you know happening in Wilmington, North Carolina, there was a hurricane, or if there was a family that needed money, or if there was something going on, it was our our female cast members that were leading the charge. Like we were just, oh yeah, okay, yes, we should help. Like it was just. It was kind of nice, you know, to be, it wasn't a, it wasn't, you know, anything that I'd been used to and it was refreshing and nice. And I was really, it's what I miss, you know, I miss that, those friendships because of the good in those people that I worked with, you know. 
when I nine think... years on a show is a long period of, of your life. So that's definitely going to feel like that. Sorry, go on, Dom. I was just saying, I... and Barbara too. I, I keep leaving them out, but Daphne and Barbara too were extraordinarily. And, you know, and I didn't, I mean, I mean, Moira as well. It's just that, you know, we didn't always, we didn't, we weren't all together for all nine years. So you kind of split it up in groups like that. So. I was going to say when you, when you watch the pilot, um as a as a first time watcher you think <laughs> you, you think this show is going to be very uh lucas centric and this yeah. is this is how it's going to go and this is, i'm going to watch nine season of chad michael murray kind of like squinting at a screen um, <laughs> but but what you actually get is exactly like you said you know the the focus on the on the female characters and and yeah. as well as you know touch points and other characters but i kind of try to pick out um, like a characteristic of each character or, or what their char- their main sort of characteristic is. And Simon often says that there's, there's nothing supernatural about this program, but it still draws you in. But there's something that each character has that's kind of their signature power. And one mm. thing I always say about Brooke as an example is that she kind of sees everything. She kind of notices everything mm. and it's it's all there. And she's the one that picks up on things and mentions things and kind of gets, you know, all that information and, and, uses it to her advantage and and then can relay what she wants to relay and you you kind of see obviously the creative side of Peyton and and how she uses that to her advantage and and how that helps her mentally and and then how that has gone to help you know other people and and their experience with with the artwork because again Simon has to explain it to me and send me stuff and and show me but he he always you know pinpoints the mo- the moments where you know that art is significant and lots of people have it on t-shirts and it's tattoo worthy and it's it's everywhere <laughs> and um bethany joy lens or, or joy i believe you call her um you know her sort of just the intelligence side of it and how smart mm-hmm. she is and and you can see that translating from actor to character to to audience member on the on the screen and how she portrays that across and you really do feel that vibe from all of them i mean every other character like obviously your character and whitey in particular as well is someone that just knows everything he knows everything but doesn't use that to his advantage he just knows and that's that's such a cool place to be but yeah the female character point is such a good point that you made i think it's really important it's so funny you bring that up and i just want to tell you how impressed i am by by your observation i think you have really captured something that I've never been able to capture before. And I really like the way that you phrased it and put it, it was really digestible. Thank you. It oh, really helps you. a lot. You know, and now you can, you know, now you can, you're too smart for this podcast. So you got to go. And we're going <laughs> to. Oh, great. No, but I'm not. Thanks, Paul. No, I'm no. going to stay here. <laughs> no, you're the charm and the friendly and, you know, and the, and the, no, I'm teasing. He, I'm just teasing. But I do want to say something about what you said, because there's something I want to click on. And I don't know if this is relevant to the, to the fans or not, but anybody that wants to be an actor, um, I want to just, relay some advice I got about playing Dan Scott from, from my roommate at the time when, when I, when I just after we'd moved out, um, my friend Holt McCallany, Holt stars on a series called Mindhunter, which is probably still out there. Um, I don't Not think they're mind. doing it season. And Not Holt's it. been in all these movies. He's in the new Fincher film. He's in Greenland. That's out right now. He's was in Sully. He's been, he's been in everything. You, you know who Holt McCallany is. He's a fantastic actor. And when we were living together, we were always auditioning for, for stuff together. He's become a huge, huge star now. And um, one of the things he said to me, and one of the advice that I took into this character, Dan Scott, which you might be able to see once I tell you what it was, was let's say that you're auditioning to be um, uh, a homicide detective. And so you've got your, your audition in front of you and you're going to go in and meet the producers. Your job, 
he what he what Holt's theory was, which I I've been doing for twenty five years now, is whatever it says on the page. You are the best homicide detective ever. If you're a fireman, you are the best fireman ever. Dan Scott was the best basketball player ever played at One Tree Hill. Dan Scott is the best father you will ever meet. It's like the whole thing is like whatever I'm, you don't have to yell it, but the point is you embody that whatever, so whatever anybody comes to you, you already know it. You're in the know. So all the secrets, like you can, even in your eyes, when someone tells you something, it's like, yeah, I knew that. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I understand. It's like, you don't, you're not, the only new information you get is what you experience. But when someone tells you something, it's like, no, 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 I got this. <laughs> Thanks for the information. Thanks for being late to the game. I already knew that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always a little, it's, and what it does is it kind of colors your performance a little bit to give you kind of like a, a little bit of arrogance, which is always something. So when you're on a camera, you don't have nothing. You want to have something. And so what I love to play was this, I'm in the know. And when you say that about like, he, they seem to know everything, Dan Scott knew everything. And that was what you liked about it. It was like, oh, this guy's up to something. But, you know, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a particular way of playing the part that gave me that sort of like, I'm on the inside of the inside. And I'll let you people know what's happening when it's, my, when it's time. It's like, and that kind of like in the know is scary, mm. you know, because it's knowledge is power. That, then that's all I was going to tell you. So what, oh, what, you're, what you're telling us then is that we need to approach this, like this is the best podcast you've ever been on. <laughs> well, it, it actually may be. <laughs> I think it definitely is. I mean, look at I, this hair. How can you go wrong with that? <laughs> your, your Holt McCannelly um, impression was, was spot on as well. That's pretty, pretty. Oh, good. do you know Holt? Yeah. I, I have to say, well, I've watched Mindhunter a few times and he's the, he's the best at sitting behind a typewriter and never using it. <laughs> it just, just seems to sit there. We just not want that. to write this report. You know, fuck the FBI. I'm out of here kind of person. It was, it was brilliant. Together for a long time. We were both single Hollywood dudes trying to make a living in Hollywood. And um, he, right after I broke up with a girlfriend, I moved in with him and he was such a nice guy, such a sweetheart. We met our both mutual love of boxing, it built our friendship. And I was one day I would get up in the morning and um, and it was say it was the like the last day of the month that he was going to ask for rent. He was so nice that he couldn't just outright and go, "Hey man, it's rent. Can you give me a check?" Um, I'd wake up in the morning, and go, um, "Paul, you know, um, at the end of every month, traditionally, you know, we do get a cup of coffee. I just need some fresh coffee." I'm like, "You know, I'd love some." He goes, "Um, great, great. You know, so um, you know, living together has been really good. I enjoy. You know, we both have a room and uh, and a roof over our heads. And do you, do you want cream? Because I've got cream. Would you like some cream with that?" And I'd be like, uh, yeah, sure, love some cream. He goes, so, you know, um, you know, we've been working, and I know you're doing really well. I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, and uh, this is a very expensive house, by the way. Um, do you want sugar? Because I have some sugar over there. I'm like, dude, do you want the rent? Is that what you're going? It's like, <laughs> he just couldn't get himself to ask oh for the rent because he's so nice. <laughs> oh, that, that is such a great impression. That's spot on as well. That's so good. <laughs> what a great story. You know, you know, it's okay. I got this month. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Um, would you like to go for a run? Let's go for a run. Um, you know, it's just <laughs> greatest guy. I don't know. I have a, uh, by the way, I've, I've, I've had, you know, I've been in LA since 1980 and, um, it's a long time and I've, I've lived with, um, some very interesting actors and I've spent, so there, it's funny, like one day <laughs> I wouldn't, I will never write a book because I don't, I would never embarrass anybody, but 
I just hate all these stories to die with me all at once. And my, I start talking about the things I can't say on a podcast. But you, know, you can you imagine. Should, you should write a book. Well, actually, Dom, close your eyes for a second. We have a copy of. Ah! Yep, that's right. <laughs> that's true. By the so way, you... um, I I think that that was those were interesting years, right? Oh uh, yeah. yeah, I I. We have to we'll have to get you back when we get to some of these points if if we're able to because there's some well this actually brings me on to one of my one of my questions so okay. do you have a particular favorite uh, episode or like moment of of One Tree Hill you know that that you were in as a two part question and did you ever do, did you take any props from the show like do you have any props at home that you've kept as like mementos or anything I, I got some stuff yeah I have uh, I have Dan Scott's driver's license. Which I've actually pulled out. <laughs> it's a North Carolina driver's license. says Tree Hill, North Carolina, which doesn't exist. And I actually showed it once. To, I don't know. I think they asked me to show ID to get into a bar. I think it was in London or something like that. Um, but anyway, they didn't know what it was. Um, I've got um, Dan Scott's um, uh, the coach jacket when I coached the Ravens. That right, just I gotta just stop you there. In just two episodes ago, that is what happened. And uh I said to Dom and I said to all of our listeners, I need that jacket. Where <laughs> do we get it? I want it made. So that's so funny that you have well, that. I, I, and by the way, I'm I'm auctioning it off soon. Are you really? To, yeah, I want to raise some money for autism. Yeah, yeah. Just tell me tell me the amount you need. Yeah. Don't bother with an auction. I've got you. <laughs> what do you want? Well, we can talk about it. Let's, let's, you know, just contact me on the thing. Uh, you know, maybe we can, um, maybe we can figure out something. I've got tons of scripts, originals from the first episodes. I've got, to, yeah, I mean, I find stuff all the time. You know, those posters and clothes. Um, yeah, stuff. I mean, I, I can't even remember. I think I have, I, I just found the other day my Boondock Saints badge when I was on Boondock Saints 2. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. But, I mean, I keep finding stuff. I got this. I got stuff from, I don't know, man. It's just crazy. I don't even know what I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get rid of all this stuff. I'm, I'm in a new phase of my life where I'm mostly writing and directing. I definitely want to act some more. Um, it's, it's, I will be honest with you. I think, you know, the industry has changed a lot, you know, a lot. And when you don't get in the room and meet with the directors and show them how you can take direction and, 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 and bring, you know, um, a lot of yourself into your character and stuff like that, I think it's hard on tape we're sending tape for stuff now you know what i mean the new series is casting on they want to see tape and so you send them a tape and it's like you know you're in your underwear in your living room and you're sipping coffee and your son runs through the shot and you're like (laughs) use this (laughs) i'm supposed to be on mars um (laughs) life is pretty strange as an actor but it's lovely um, I, I, I want to also say that, you know, I think um, this, that we have looked at the, if you look back at a lot of those episodes and you see what's kind of happening in the world now, I think that Winter Hill did touch on some um, foreshadowing of sort of like, you know, things were, um, you know, uh, accountability for, you know, predatory behavior and all the other things that are happening. I think we were really ahead of our time in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. I really liked that. I liked that they were touching on sensitive issues early. You know, because I think a lot of young girls grew up with this show and didn't really know how to to like harness their power, or maybe that's something that we we should be doing a better job with society. I'm raising a little boy right now, and even that, you know, I, there's some of the things in One Tree Hill that I learned by playing Dan that taught me, you know, to take a step back before I talk to him when something goes wrong or he isn't behaving the way that 
I think would be, you know, healthy. And I just think of, you know, you know, like, I don't think I'm, I'm not a yeller normally, you know, so it's not my way. I'm completely opposite of Dan. Like you, you met Quinn. So his, the Dan Scott version of raising a child is just going to create somebody that's shaky and insecure because they're always going to be overjudged as opposed to empowering them with, you know, finding, well, what's an alternative thing you could have done in that situation? Why did you do it that way? Explain it to me. Where'd your brain go? And then he talks to me about it. I said, well, did you get the result you wanted? So we talk through behavior and it's not something that Dan would have done. And I don't know if I would have been this way had I not had that experience of seeing, you know, that on screen, how Dan affect, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. You're a parent. Um, so you, you'll, you'll, you'll be there. You know? Well, my, 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 uh, my son is seven weeks old today, actually. Well, it's um, never too late to play basketball. Let's get that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but I, I have to tell you something because this is my favorite advice to young parents, especially if you have, if you're like a dad. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. My son and I have a very special bond and it was because I believed that, um, although I, you know, I wasn't with his mom. We, we, we co-parented together amicably because we both really wanted to raise a child. Um, but my goal was to get up every morning before her and get him up and let her sleep in. She's got a big day. She's breastfeeding, right? She's, she's got to take care of the kids. There's an emotional connection. She like stays up, feeds in the middle and all this stuff. So I get up really early, like five thirty or six when he was your son's age and maybe 16 weeks. I, I waited a little longer. And then I got a baby Bjorn. You know, things where you hold them in and you face them towards you when they're that young. And I get outside the first thing, get a warm, I warm up a bottle because we froze breast milk. Do you guys freeze breast milk? Yeah. yeah. I took a a bottle with me and I put it in a warm, I put it in my pocket and we just get out of the house and we go into nature because they're up and every leaf, you take a leaf off a tree, you take a rock off the ground, you put it in their hand, you let them feel it. And you talk to them about it. They hear your voice. They get tactile. They feel the fresh air. And you go for like an hour walk every morning, just you and your child. And you let them, you can feed them. And sometimes they fall asleep. But just getting up early and getting out in the air creates a bond between you because the mother's bond is is different. You know, it's that nurture. It's the It's this incredible love. It's this it's their life. It's their lifeblood. So I wanted to create my own bond with my son. And mine was like nature and I and you, you know, let mom sleep. We get back. She's waking up. She's refreshed. She feels good. She hasn't heard the baby whining and crying. I've taken care of it. And then at seven or seven thirty in the morning, the day starts and I can even work. You know what I mean? It's just I'm- my favorite thing. I, I love that for so many reasons. I mean, first, firstly, um, I just love all of that because we've been trying to do that. I, we have a Labrador uh, dog, so I like oh. to take, try and walk and do the baby born. But also, you, um, you wouldn't know this because why would you? But you actually look a lot like my dad <laughs> in real life. Um, so, and he's a good looking guy. He's a good looking guy. So, you know, but, but and, and I'm dressed like, you know, Lucas or Nathan right now. So I feel like, you know, in a, in a universe where Dan is like an amazing father, you've just given me some fatherly advice. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you have, you'll find your own way, but that works for me. And, uh, and no, that's lovely. Hmm. That's lovely. I really, I really like that. Thank you. Um, well, get him speak- into a relationship and get you to have some kids, right? Aren't you ready? Me and Dom. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, when when me and my girlfriend, you know sort our lives out and get married then then we'll sort okay. out the children's side of things <laughs> all right, all right.
It is a life changer, isn't it? Don't you think? Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, an outlook perspective changer in in the best possible way. It's, it softens you, but it also, it's, you get gained so much wisdom. Like you just, you're taking care of another life that's not yours. And it's just, whoa, you know, the earth shakes underneath you after that. Well, well, speaking, speaking of your son, I mean, uh, how much does he know about Dan Scott? And would there be an, what age would you be comfortable with him watching One Tree Hill or you wouldn't want him to watch One Tree Hill? Well, like, how does that I'm work? I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this, but you know, I, he's never seen an episode. Um, and not because I wouldn't let him. I would let him. In fact, I let my son watch stuff that's probably, um, for some people would say is insuitable. But my son is um, wants to be um, like Elon Musk. His dream is to be a scientist. He, is, he, um, he doesn't watch cartoons or anything like that and has, never has. His, his interests lie in um, astrophysics, um, metallurgy, chemistry. He watches documentaries um, almost exclusively on YouTube. And um, sometimes, you know, he watches, you know, uh, movies that are, you know, about, you know, um, you know, space time, things like that. So we can get sort of a grasp, but he can explain things to you that I wouldn't know understanding, you know, how, um, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the, the sun works and, and fusion and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. He gets really into it. It's, it's his dream to come up with a new um, power source for earth other than, you know, you know, just wind, solar and, and, uh, and fossil fuels. He wants to come up with a, what he thinks is possible, which has never been done, which is a perpetual motion machine, which is one of the designs he's working on in his room. So he's, he does this stuff. He's not, and he's just, so what I try to do is feed his interests and I don't try to like force things on him that aren't his preferred interests. And um, so, you know, when the when COVID ends and we can do things, you know, he wants to um, apply for the Elon Musk school for children, which is like a, sort of a scientific based school for Mensa students. And um, he's, um, he's extraordinary. I mean, I'm just, I just, but I'm, I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm built from a different grain. And um, my job as a parent isn't to make him like me. It's to let him find the best him and whatever that takes. So that's, that's the way that I work with him. So he hasn't shown an interest in the show other than he does very sweetly. Sometimes (laughs) when, People come up to me or him and back before COVID when we were in a mall or something like that. And people would go, oh, my God, you're Dan Scott. And Quinn would go, yeah, he was. He was Dan Scott. He was Dan Scott. Hey, every, hey, that's my dad. It's like, and he'll yell it. And like, people start, I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't. It was, <laughs> like, he, he does, he thinks it's funny. So. <laughs> that is hilarious <laughs> to be fair. Very, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> he sat he i mean we we were lucky to just meet him for a second just before and that's absolutely phenomenal um and sounds like he made yeah. he's making me feel bad about myself <laughs> yeah he wants to do a podcast but i think so what i don't do is i don't let him interact with people on the internet i mean i don't allow him to have chat rooms i don't allow him mm. to be involved in them his mother and i shut all that off on his computer um that's i just you know he doesn't have to interact with people until he's at a point where he can, you know, be able to make some more mature decisions on who's appropriate to talk to. Um, mm. That's all. That's the only it, thing that I'm, I'm very careful about. It's great that he's so, uh, he's got that intelligence. And again, he's, he's incredibly creative from literally a, a snapshot of talking to him and, and talking to yourself you as well. In that conversation? 
yeah yeah absolutely oh, yeah. just he's got script ideas and he wanted to join us yeah. on the on the podcast and he wanted to talk yeah. about this and fine yeah Brent, Brent, we'd love to have a chat with him as well it'd be great and well i've actually got a small recommendation you can tell him you can not tell him i don't, I don't mind it's up to you you're his father um but there's a podcast over here um on bbc or anywhere actually on, on bbc called the infinite monkey cage and it's it's by uh, there's a guy called Professor Brian Cox who's a f- quite a famous physicist over here. Yeah, I think we've watched Brian Cox before. Oh, okay, cool. cool. And, the uh, Infinite Monkey Cage. The Infinite Monkey Cage. Yeah, it's him and a guy called Robin Ince, I think it is. Uh, and it's kind of Robin Ince is like the comedy guy and the funny one, and Professor Brian Cox brings the science, and they have guests on and stuff like that. And it's a, it's actually a really interesting podcast. So if he's interested in podcasting and the science side of things, he. Okay. he give that a go and then he can create I feel something like we'll, from that. we'll definitely check it out thank you, you we definitely will try. <laughs> yeah i think brian cox is hilarious personally he's great, <laughs> he's great yeah. dude i think he was actually interviewed by joe rogan too wasn't he i think i saw oh, him on the joe rogan podcast probably yeah, I, yeah. Think I saw that yeah imagine you were cast in one tree hill uh when you were younger and you had the choice to play nathan or lucas which character would you have wanted to have played well, I think I think I am more Nathan. I think it's just because of my um, my basketball background, and um, you know, and that um, um, I'm, I'm more um, deliberate in my ways. I think Lucas was more artsy, and Nathan was more deliberate, and that's the way that I'm reading them. Don't you guys think? Yeah. And so I think that I'm I was more um, more towards James's character in, in my personal. Um, way so I think it would have been that um, yeah I mean I think that's I think that's the right choice for for, for me I mean uh, I mean I'm you know I'm, I'm not to say that I'm not like I just think that Lucas is more was more driven by emotions in his choices mm-hmm. and you know the way that we the way that you know my favorite you know writers write you know some of the best writers in Hollywood and I, I, I listen and I read a lot of scripts is you see that characters are defined by what they do not what they say so you can, and you, and a great writer puts a character in a situation where he has to make a choice. And that choice is the, is the information that tells the audience who that character is. So if, it, if you give a character like Dan Scott a choice between doing this or doing that, whatever he picks tells the audience who he is. So as opposed to him talking and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. You make him make a choice. And so that's how you define characters. And I think the choices that Nathan made you know, he wanted to be in the NBA. He wanted to do this. He was very, you know, he was very responsible. And when he wasn't responsible, it was a thing where Lucas was always irresponsible. You know, he messed up this and yeah, I forgot to do that. Or, oh, I should have called her. That's just two different kinds of characters, you know? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Very well put. Very well put. And, and talking of, of writing, um, so Dom won't know this, and this is what IMDb tells me, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you've, uh, you've written um, a script with Nick uh, Cassavetti who plays uh, Dietrich, Dom, in Face Off. You know, the, yeah, the ball yeah. oh, Dietrich yeah. in Face Off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, That's amazing. I mean, what, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, I've written three or four scripts with Nick. We're, we're, uh, we've been best friends since... Um, uh, gosh, uh, 1989 when we met, or 1988. Um, I think 1989 was the year his father died, John Cassavetes. Um, Nick and I have written a bunch of scripts together. He's, in my opinion, maybe one of the top 10 writers in the business. He is a, he's a genius. You know, he directed The Notebook, John Q, Alpha Dog, you know, 
Uh, the other John one. John Q. You were in John Q. I forgot to mention it. I love that yeah. movie. I love that movie. Denzel Washington, right? Man, yeah. One of the best there is. Probably the best actor in the world, if you ask me. Um, I think that, you know, um, writing with Nick has been really, I've grown a lot. And since One Tree Hills ended, Nick and I have got a lot of projects together. We have a movie that's just about ready to pop. It hasn't been announced yet, so I can't give too much details, but it's based on a, on a, on a, on a novel written in the, uh, in the 80s, a true story about a Hollywood cop. Um, and that one's cast, and we're just waiting for COVID to kind of give us a, a window to jump into it. Um, the one that I think you're referring to, because we just wrote another one together, um, uh, the one that we that you're talking about, uh, um, uh, have you seen her? Is that I don't know if that's the one that you're talking about. That's it. That's the, that's what that, it says on IMDb. Yeah, that's it with with, with MetaWorks in New York. Yeah, that's a old story that Nick came up with many years ago about um, uh, uh, a New York couple that are about to get married, and instead of proposing, he gives her earrings and she flips out and runs away and he chases her to Greece. Um, <laughs> but the, we also wrote another one just recently um, that we're doing uh, with Patriot Pictures is called uh, Tear Down This Wall, which is a true story of Peter Schlenkow, who um, uh, put together the concert with David Bowie and the Eurythmics um, and uh, and right in front of the Berlin Wall in 1987, uh, which led to the cultural movement, which brought down the Berlin Wall. It's a great story about his battle to get that concert put up so that these Germans, people on the other side of the wall, could hear live music and because rock and roll and everything and long hair was all being, you know, really clamped down on in East Germany. You know, the Russians were really not interested in the American and Western culture infiltrating their 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 um, their steel wall. So it's a great story, and we just finished that one. And um, yeah, we've got lots of fun projects together. He's a, by the way, just to go back to Face Off for a second, um, I have that jacket that Nick wore. You remember the, the leather jacket? Hold on a second. Oh my God, we love Face Off. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> so the, uh, the I know exactly that Nick wore in Face Off. Right here. Yeah, I know exactly the scene it's in and everything. That is yeah, crazy. That's the jacket. And um, Nick just, a movie just premiered on Sundance, uh, the virtual Sundance um, Film Festival. It's going on right now. Um, the movie just premiered with Nick Cage and Nick Cassavetes, first time together since Face Off. It's a fantastically visual film. I quickly tell you what it's called because it is out of this world. I love Nicolas Cage. Oh, this movie is supposed to be off the hook. Let me see if I can find it for you. It's right here. I can't believe you have the face-off jacket. That's so I know. Cool. It's just a movie. If you want to put it up for auction, let's make some money. What? Uh, go to autism, right? Simon's very, very, very quickly running out of what? money on this podcast. <laughs> You're running out of money? Simon, I'm just going to search Patriot Pictures real fast because it's our um, uh, Nicholas Cage and Sophia Botello star Prisoners of the Ghostland, and it's starring uh, Nick Cassavetes and hold on Prisoners of the Ghostland, Sophia Butella, Bill Mosley, Nick Cassavetes, um, and Sundance. So I can't really show much of the. So just read the little thing here where you can find it on. Go to the Patriot Pictures. Um, um, I'll put I'll put a link in the description for everyone. So let's let's yeah. all check that out and support because that's awesome. 
In the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, a ruthless bank robber, Nicholas Cage, is sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord, the governor, Bill Mosley, whose adopted, whose adopted granddaughter, Bernice, Sophia Butella, has gone missing. The governor offers the prisoner his love. So this is sort of a breakdown on the storyline there. Prisoners of Ghostland, supposed to be incredibly visual. and just So they're, they're teamed up together again. That's awesome. That's so cool. Stuff going on. <laughs> well, what well what's i mean what's next for you are you do you want to stay within like the writing directing or you know is the itch there to you know do more acting or like which how where do you want to go back. i'm getting the itch back i haven't really been focusing on acting for the last few years because i've written i i wrote uh four full film scripts during um covid which is an incredible amount of work i'm about to start another one um and I'm, I'm I'm loving it, but I really am getting ready to want to act again. I mean, I'm I'm hoping I find a nice project to fall into and that um, will appreciate, you know, what I'm the kind of dedication I like to bring to my parts, you know. And and this, you know, you're you're you guys have been really generous and really really appreciate all your your compliments about this character because it it means the world to me. I honestly, it does. I, I don't say that without. It, it's just I'm proud of the work I did and I'm and I'm grateful that people appreciate it. Well, it's it's more than appreciation. Like sincerely, that that show completely it it impacted on my life, as I'm sure it has with many other people. And then Dom, sincerely speaking for him, but he's going to agree with me in a second, is sincerely <laughs> really enjoying the show as a first time viewer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, every let me, episode. Let me, let me quickly show you the jacket, okay? Please, oh, uh, yeah, oh. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm gonna have to sell some stuff. <laughs> is it, oh no sorry that's not it <laughs> <laughs> oh wow <laughs> just throwing an emmy around yeah just hey i'll look up just paperweight yep. emmy you know <laughs> i need this jacket <laughs> i need it i'm keeping all of this in the podcast that was fine <laughs> what you should do is uh get the jacket and i know you want it for you but is get your dad to wear it <laughs> and take a picture yeah yeah <laughs> that's perfect and i could wear this next to him yeah like oh here. brilliant yeah yeah yeah, yeah. With, the, with the chad michael Murray mask <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll sit in the back with a guitar i'll be jake <laughs> no you have to be whitey oh excellent i'll shave my head oh my god there it is there it is. And it even had so good. Oh my god. Right? It's so good. I haven't worn this since the show. Nathan, get out of there and play defense. <laughs> in there for Nathan. That's excellent. I love it. <laughs> so good. I love it. I'll be messaging you after this. <laughs> Not bad, right? It's beautiful, actually. It's in great shape. Yeah. What size is it? What were we saying? So <laughs> let's see. Well, it's, just, it's in great shape as its as its owner is as well. I have to say. Oh, thank you. Two <laughs> uh, uh, XL. <laughs> that will work. You can keep the baby on the inside, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's amazing. I I love that. I love that. Well, um, I don't even know. I don't even know what else to say. I'm a bit overwhelmed still, to be honest. <laughs> I had a lot of fun, and I hope you guys did too. Oh, we had so much fun. So well, much. I know, I know you have a you have a cameo, right? So everyone, get involved on on the Thank cameo you. 
we'll put yeah, the links that. to that below um we'll put um you know links to your social media below as well um which is it's great to follow you on and it's nice to see you know you put little things like trips and stuff you do <laughs> come in here if you want to talk <laughs> speaking Sorry. of no, I was saying it's not so nice to see you, you know, parenting on there. And there you go. There was some of it right there. So. <laughs> um, but we're just really grateful for your time. And um, it's been an amazing experience. And thank you so much. I loved it. And anytime, we'll do it again whenever you want. Oh, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. It, it, means, nice. it, it means the world to both of us. And Simon oh, absolutely adores you. And I'm... Yeah. <laughs> coming to adore you because of you know your character and the way you perform and this conversation is you're, you're fantastic so thank you so much for your time it means a lot and your son yep. is, is is great as well i hope he continues <laughs> on his path to yep. becoming the elon musk of the future oh uh, well you know whatever his destiny is i'm just happy that he's healthy yeah excellent yeah, absolutely nice well, talking to you guys anytime yeah, stay man. safe thank you very you much too. take care all Got the best